the downside of COVID is we've been all kind of used to like Zoom meetings and working all day long on all of these video calls. And um, sometimes I think one of my biggest advice is like, actually just don't turn on the video and just take a walk while you're doing a phone call because you just need that time outside. Lindsay Cook is the co-founder and CEO of FitOn, a new digital fitness company revolutionizing the category with the number one free fitness app. Between her long hours as an executive at Fitbit and having young kids at home, it became impossible for Lindsay to carve out time for her favorite classes at the gym. Lindsay searched the internet to find videos and programs to help meet her needs of readily accessible premium workouts without spending a fortune on fancy equipment, but nothing like that existed. So she created it. Tune in to hear Lindsay's journey from executive to successful startup founder. Coming up, you'll learn how to successfully launch a freemium product. Lindsay shares the number one quality you really need to start your own business. And finally, you'll hear what social media platform you should be on if you're raising capital. This is the Entreprenista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Lindsay, we are so excited to sit down and have this conversation with you today. You have built such an incredible company, but you have an incredible corporate background as well. And I know that led you to your starting your own business. I would love first to hear a little bit about your background. And did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneurista? I actually didn't. I'm sure many people kind of like awake in the early days of lemonade stands, kind of know they want to be an entrepreneur. It actually took me quite a bit in my career to figure out that that was something that I really wanted to do. I'd always worked at like really large kind of tech companies and marketing companies. I started my career at Microsoft and then moved over to a lot of roles in brand management like Neutrogena, as well as Clorox in the Bay Area. I was a brand manager for a long time. And then I really kind of got the itch to for entrepreneurship really at Fitbit in the Bay Area. I joined the wearable device company pretty early on in their trajectory. I think there was about 50 people when I joined the company. And I just loved the speed and the agility that came with a small company and moving fast and, you know, was was always kind of moved into more of a general manager role in kind of some of the bigger companies. And I felt like I wasn't getting the chance to roll up my sleeves. And I loved like the hustle and the combination of strategy and execution that you really got in a small company. And so it took about kind of my five years of experience at Fitbit and, you know, it growing from a small company to, you know, post IPO to really realize how much I loved the early days of that company. And honestly, just the, the focus on building and growing products. And I think I had kind of quite an epiphany during my experience there once I had become an executive on the exec team at Fitbit or once I had gone to actually business school. I kind of realized um, at one point that the people that ran a lot of the Fortune 500 companies, I'd kind of put them on this massive pedestal, thought they were geniuses, like, you know, kind of something unobtainable for me. And, you know, by the time I had kind of got to that point in my career, career, I realized that kind of 
the people that were in those positions were actually extremely bright, but they were just like anyone else out there. They had an idea, they worked hard, they were as persistent as it came. And so when I was coming up with the idea for Fit On, I really kind of didn't hesitate. I thought if all these other people can start companies and kind of manage these large corporations, maybe I could do it too. When did you launch Fit On? So we launched Fit On actually in um, kind of say very early days of 2019. So we've been at it about three to, to four years now. And it sounds like you launched right before everything happened with COVID and the world changed. Did that impact everything going on in the early days and with your launch? Yeah. So, I mean, I think we had about one full year in business before COVID hit. And I mean, the nice thing at the time, I mean, the concept of Fit On was how um, kind of came a little bit from my own personal need. I was kind of an executive working really demanding hours and ended up having two kids. I have two girls they're now actually six and eight. And at the time, I it was like the ironic experience of working at a health and fitness company, but having absolutely no time for health and fitness. Mm-hmm. So I realized how important actually my workouts were to my own self-care. And I had no time to go to the gym. And I spend a lot of time looking at apps in the app store and just being really underwhelmed by what I was seeing in the space. And I found myself like lost on YouTube trying to fit in a workout and spending like 30 minutes trying to find a 10 minute workout and realizing also just from my experience, understanding the category that no one had really kind of won the digital health and wellness category and with a product that was super motivating. And so at some point I realized maybe I should just go after it. And so, yes, we had a good kind of full year run of kind of starting and building the business. Always wish we had even more time prior to COVID hitting, but definitely was a good time to start a home fitness company. What is the business model? How do you make money? So we are a freemium business. It's all digital subscription. Freemium means really that, um, I'm sure most people get it, but it is really that you have kind of features available for free and you can upgrade for additional features as part of a digital subscription. And so with FitOn, what we actually built is we created a model where um, we offer over a thousand workouts for free on the platform. And so you actually really never have to be a, a paid fit on member if you don't want to, but we love to upgrade folks to kind of, I'd say all the extra ways that you can take your health and fitness to the next level. So you can get access to premium music and to meal plans and nutrition plans and ability to get offline downloads. And, and I feel like part of, um, you know, what really helped us, you know, be successful in the category was we built a much better product than a lot of the other products out there, but we did also lean into that freemium model. You can't Build a lot of businesses can't be built freemium, but you can do it when you have a really highly engaged product with strong retention. And so that's kind of where we focus from the get-go in our first year of business is how do we just build a much better product? We actually started free without even monetization for the first year just to get the product market fit right and to get the product to a place we were really happy with before we turned on our our monetization. But it's definitely been a key part of our success. One of the beauties of a freemium business model is you get a lot of great word of mouth, actually over 50% of the organic growth that comes in to fit on every year is through word of mouth of just friends telling friends, you know, saying, you know, I can't believe how awesome this product is and telling everyone they've ever met about it. And a lot of that is because we're giving a lot of value away to our customers for free. Were there a lot of learning lessons that you took from working at Fitbit that you were able to bring to launching your own business? Absolutely. I mean, I think that Being in a small startup and really kind of gives you a confidence level that 
you can't can't gain without just getting in the weeds and doing. And I think that that's where, you know, I remember when I started at Fitbit, I was taking on, you know, probably 10 hats of different jobs that I had never kind of ever had in my career. And then I realized that I could do them all. For instance, I would have to, I remember like the first week on the job, I had to organize a photo shoot and then I had to create a TV ad. And then I had to do so, I had to launch a product within six months of getting there. And all these things that felt like, you know, Herculean tasks that I wouldn't have been capable of and being there and just having to get them done and realizing that I could and I would figure anything out really gave me a lot of the confidence to kind of start my own business. I remember I was actually at a a talk once at, at business school and I heard a female executive from Starbucks. She was, I think, kind of one of Schultz's key leaders there. And she said something to the effect of, you know, look, if Howard Schultz had asked me to put a Starbucks on the moon, I would have figured it out. And I felt like that was very much of my time at Fitbit was figuring out hard problems and just, you know, taking them in stride and solving them and just getting things accomplished that I didn't think I was capable of. And I think that's a lot about kind of that confidence and just believing in yourself and trying to solve hard problems and kind of, I would say, keeping calm and carrying on is I think just a lot of probably the number one quality you have to do to start your own company. I couldn't agree more. You really have to be the type of person who can figure things out, even though you've never done them before, to be successful at entrepreneurship. In that first year that you launched, what were some of your biggest problems that you were able to figure out? Actually, I'd love to tell you a little bit of the story of how I did even come up with the idea of Fit On, and I can kind of connect to this, is I actually ended up taking some time, like I took a a time off of, I ended my time at Fitbit and I ended up actually doing a six month trip around the world with my kids. And it was the best like six months I've ever spent in my entire life. I still like daydream about taking my kids to get like gelato in Italy. And I think that that was the time off that I really needed to kind of come up with this, the concept of fit on and bounced off a lot of different business ideas. And that ended up kind of coming up with this one that really helped me figure out that's what I wanted to do. And I, I realized that sometimes when we're so stuck in our, like going from job to job, we don't take the time to actually think about what we want to do next. And I know that literally fit on would not have existed if I hadn't had just taken time off for me and (laughs) tried to, even though it was like a couple months here and there, it just really gave me the time to focus on it. But you know, I we learned so much in those early days of starting the company. I think probably fundraising was one of my probably biggest insights or challenges I had to take on kind of early on. And, you know, I'd come up with a great concept for the product. I actually used kind of the, you know, have you guys heard of like the Amazon style approach to um, kind of proposals? If you work at Amazon, if people haven't heard about this, they write these memos. Like you can't get a decision made if you're a memo. I wrote a memo on what FitOn was and I just kept building on it over and over and over and just trying to make it a stronger sales pitch. And I think with the fundraising, one of my actual, my friends had had worked at a, at a venture capital firm at the time and she had kind of come to me and said, hey, look, like when you're pitching and doing fundraising, just make sure you're like the most confident person you've ever been when you walk into that room. And she said, because when you walk out, the next 10 people that are going to walk in that day, they are going to sell the world out of their concept. And they are going to really sell their vision with a lot of, you know, everything they've got. And I think that that was something that, you know, I was always a little bit more, I would say, 
not the person to bang on my chest and a lot more humble, never wanted to talk about how fantastic I was. I know that's a lot of, you know, sometimes a feminine trait that mm-hmm. we don't love screaming at the top of the roof, how awesome we are. And, and it's something that, uh, I had to realize that I had to kind of gain that confidence and walk into those fundraising meetings. Like, um, you know, you're going to miss out if you're not part mm-hmm. of this. And, and I think, I think that was kind of one of my biggest first challenges going into it, but it definitely served me well. And has has been an amazing skill set I had to learn moving forward, which is just to like, um, I don't know, I'll give you the analogy today of like that. What's Beyonce is like Sasha Fierce to turn, yes, yes. To turn on, turn the, alter on ego. That, the alter ego, turn on your alter ego, even if it's not natural to you in kind of those first early years. It is so true. And especially with fundraising, you know, someone is not going to want to invest in someone that doesn't believe in their self, themselves and their vision. So you have to sell it. We're actually launching a Raising Capital Power Group in our Entrepreneurista League where our members who are raising capital are part of a group together. And it's led by an expert coach and facilitator who helps women raise capital because you need to practice and you need to, you know, get out there and feel confident. And it's really hard and it's scary, especially when it's your own idea and how are other people going to react to it? But if you go in there and are confident and sell it, I mean, look what happened. You did it, right? You raised. I did, but it's it's always like you, you can you got to just keep going at it over and over. The amazing thing about startups is, and especially in tech startups, is you're always raising. <laughs> Well, talk to us a little bit about the process of your raise. Did you initially raise right when you were launching to get started or did you build out a proof of concept first and bootstrap the business? What was your process? It was, I think, a a little bit in parallel. We were in the process of building the product while fundraising and kind of, I would say it started with a very rudimentary version of the, the product. I think when we launched in January of 2019, I think we had 30 workouts on the product, had done one shoot we had done with our trainers and probably had a pretty fantastic PowerPoint presentation that was selling the vision more than what actual product existed behind closed doors. Um, And so I think we were kind of trying to build the concept and put it together while in the process of fundraising. I think the biggest interesting thing I learned about fundraising was just the power of networking and putting yourself out there. I remember when my I had my job at Fitbit, I had a pretty like insular focus. I was kind of, I got to know every single person at the company, spent endless hours with them, but I wasn't really going outside of my, I would say, bubble that I was living in. And I I wasn't going to startup events. I wasn't going to networking nights. It was much more of kind of, if someone was there, I'd get to know them, but not like putting myself out there. I realized just how the power of networking and when it comes to fundraising, it's amazing to me how much connections play such an important part in that process. And you can't even believe how many people, I remember I met this one amazing female investor out of New York. She never actually invested in the company, but she was just a great supporter and ended up putting me in touch with, you know, you should talk to this investor or you should talk to that one. And it's amazing how many people actually like extend and support you when you ask for help and and just make Mm -hmm. great connections. But I remember at the time thinking like, oh, we'll just call, you know, cold outreach to all the big VCs out there and learned pretty quickly, like, no, nope, cold emails don't work. They don't respond to them. And so it's really about like, who do I know from college, from high school that maybe is connected to someone at one of those companies? And how do I get that meeting and get the best introduction I possibly can to help kind of sell in that concept? 
That is such great advice. Intros are absolutely everything. And LinkedIn is definitely a great tool for that, figuring out who you want to meet, who you're already connected to, and then building that strategy to reach out and, and ask for those warm intros. So I love that advice. Yeah, I think it's also like, I mean, the other one I would do is spend time on, I don't know if you guys talk a lot about like like using Crunchbase or some of those tools. Um, but, you know, there's so many, I, I believe there's a few, I think there's PitchBook, there's Crunchbase, but you can really get access to understanding once you've chosen the category that you're interested in going after, let's say it's women's health, let's say it's fintech, you can really start seeing who are all the power players and the investors in these different categories what events are they hosting? How do you kind of find ways to get connected with the people that you really want to meet? Absolutely. And another little tip I'll share too, I don't know if you did this, is Twitter. VC Twitter is a big spot to be on. And a lot of these investors are like regularly tweeting and sharing content and advice. And as a founder, going in there and engaging with some of these investors on Twitter sliding into their DMs, asking them the best way to connect with them. I've seen people get some really great responses that way through Twitter. That's great advice. Up next, the steps Lindsay took to reach her ideal customer, and you'll learn how being a results-oriented company has helped Lindsay and her team create work-life balance. I want to know more about the marketing around your initial launch. A lot of the entrepreneurs we talk to on the show have e-commerce companies, but you have an app. So I would love to hear any best practices on how to market and an app. Absolutely. I think one of the interesting things from my experience, I was a brand marketer by trade. So I was like, I probably had a $20 million budget at Brita, over a hundred million budget at Fitbit. I had built like a lot of really, I would say, highly professional TV style ads that was my traditional means of marketing. And it was so interesting, the pivot when you start a company yourself and you're very highly cognizant about your marketing spend and your ROI, and you just don't have the dollars that you did at very big companies that they can kind of almost like waste money and kind of blanket their message around. And so we got pretty scrappy early on at the when I started Fit On and trying to figure out like how do I reach? I knew I wanted to reach women, kind of 25 to 45 was my main core demographic that I was going to start with as like the primary customer. And I just started thinking about how in the world I would reach those people affordably. We spent a lot of time, you know, and I'm sure a lot of the e-commerce brands you're focused on are a lot on like performance marketing versus brand marketing and building a lot of like digital ads to try to to kind of reach customers was one thing, but there was a lot of other, I think my one other epiphany early on in the process was, you know, you could create and spend a lot of money on these highly produced assets, but in the world of social media today, you know, it's like someone in their iPhone, I always looked at like, I don't know if you guys saw the ads for Everly Well, they were pretty inspiring to me because it was like a woman on her her cell phone, the, the quality of the content was pretty rudimentary. And in that ad clearly was when they were running off and, and it was something that worked well. And so I realized that you didn't have to have, we wanted a high quality content on our platform, but in terms of advertising assets and marketing assets, sometimes the most authentic, the most real, the most organic kind of posts were actually doing a hell of a lot better than the more heavily produced you know, you don't have to spend too much money on getting started in that in that space. Even filming something on an iPhone might even work better than spending $10,000 on a shoot. So that was an early insight. And then I honestly, I would go to Starbucks and literally put flyers in 
star um, in, in kind of the coffee shops up on the wall. They would take them down all the time. And every <laughs> single time I was there, I just put them back up. I would inf- infiltrate um, Facebook groups and like kind of, you know, try to find mom's groups. I would join them, talk to them about mom life every now, throw in, hey, do you guys want to have any interest in working out? Check out this new platform we built. I would ping sorority email aliases I could find online. It was really just a matter of at one point, I, rem- I found a great hiking trail near our house, was just handing out flyers to people walking by to check out the app. And I think there's just a number of ways that you can, the biggest um, thing you can do for your business is trying to figure out how do you build organic growth, whether it's through referrals from current customers and getting them to tell other people about it. The more and more you can build organic growth into your product, which has been a big priority for us the less money you have to spend on marketing and the less dollars you have to put into the business. And so it doesn't have to be really expensive kind of marketing plans. It can literally be, you know, Facebook groups to um, finding really scrappy ways that you can just reach people or going to events, speaking on panels, things of that sort. So I highly encourage you to just be ultra scrappy in those early days of figuring out your marketing plan before you burn too many dollars and make sure you have product market fit. Yeah, you are preaching to the choir over here because a lot of these tactics that you mentioned are what we do at Social Fly for our clients. And we know they definitely work. As your business has matured, what other, I guess, higher priced marketing initiatives have you done, if any? We've tried a little bit of everything, to be honest, by this time. You know, I could say we've probably tested almost every marketing tactic you could imagine from TV ads to digital ads to influencer marketing to social. I mean, I think spending, you know, the focus on digital media and paid social, I'd say, has been kind of our primary focus for uh, running our business. It's highly focused on um on digital, which does kind of really work well for us today based on the type of product. I know kind of e-commerce brands and others have had more success with programs like affiliate and influencer programs. We've tried a little and dabbled in a bit of everything. I I feel like the true just going back to paid social has been kind of the number one focus with trying to figure out great organic growth and referral programs to the product. A lot of our product actually builds in a lot of social capabilities. So we always thought with FitOn that kind of what motivated you to stay interested and motivated in your health and fitness needs is really your your kind of closest social group. And so on FitOn today, for instance, you get notified when your friends take workouts, you can take challenges and programs together, or you can share every single workout. It's very easy to click through the product and share it. And so I, I would also highly encourage you to build as many social mechanics mm-hmm. as you can into your platform or into your product, even if it was selling a a t-shirt. It's, you know, how do you share something about it afterwards? And, and how do you get people to post online about it? Actually, after you take a workout on Fit On, you can, you know, share a post-workout photo directly to your Instagram feed and, and TikTok. And so it's a lot about how do you make more sharing happen through your overall funnel and product experience. The more that you can do that, I think the less you are reliant on and dependent on just spending traditional marketing dollars. That is such great advice and definitely agree that when your customers are the ones that are sharing, they make the biggest impact. Do you have your program set up where if I was to share out my workout on Instagram, that there would be an automatically populated link that if someone clicked on it, it's then tracked back to me. And then if someone signs up, then I get something for it. 
because it's someone else posting, for instance, if if you posted stuff, I don't think I can track your post. Whenever we do it, everything we, we fit on does is absolutely tr- clickable. And if you shared a link via text or anything using the product, it will it route back. But I would say like if someone did an Instagram story talking about how awesome their workout was on fit on today, I'm not sure you could kind of circle that back to us. But the good news is it's creating great marketing out there and people will come and they'll go to the app store and they'll download the app and check it out. But that, I mean, that's just the key is trying to figure out how you can get more and more people to um, share. I mean, I'll go back again to that freemium business model, which I think was part of our, like, you know, one of, I think the key aspects of our success. And I remember really early on, I'd started this company and I was sharing it around like to my closest friends. We started actually the first couple months we were testing everything. We tested kind of a full paywall up front on the business. And we realized um, kind of it lost a lot of the the social mechanics on it. And that's where we decided to move more to a freemium business. But I think one of my really interesting insights is we had filmed some workouts with Gabrielle Union on the platform. And I was sharing it with my friends and trying to get them to, to kind of check out a workout. And, you know, even my closest friends in the world were like, they didn't immediately pay for it. And I think, and it was one of those things where I realized working with folks, whether it was, you know, Gabrielle Union or amazing world-class trainer, creating something that people could share around for free was really a key part of Mm -hmm. them getting access to taste the product, to experience it. I know, I mean, the version of this with physical product would be like product seeding and giving it to Mm -hmm. influencers and press members. But we had to find a way that we could really seed the product and get it in people's hands and experience it to really help create a shareable experience. But I think a lot of it was about just testing and learning those early days and even figuring out what could I, how could I convince my friends to, to use this platform? <laughs> how did you finally convince them? Just by making no paywall, free to start? <laughs> um, yeah, we free to start. Really did help with them. And now they're all using it and I'm getting notified every time they take a workout and it's super okay. cool and super encouraging. <laughs> I love that. What were some of the mistakes you made in the the early days? I mean, I think that a lot of it was kind of that early epiphany of realizing when you kind of go to a startup from a big company, you become less of a brand manager and more of a performance marketer. So there were definitely some early dollars, I would tell you, that I would say were like wasted on trying things that, you know, maybe didn't work in terms of spending dollars. But at the end of the day, I always look back and say, well, you know, those failures helped us figure out we weren't going to market on this channel or we weren't, weren't going to use, we're not going to spend so much money on influencer marketing in our in our current business model. And so I think a lot of those kind of early tests and learns were really helpful. I think the other kind of, I'd say, kind of challenge or thing I had to realize and evolve is just becoming less of a perfectionist, to be honest. And like, realizing with startups that you got to get to 80% and not worry about that other 20% Mm -hmm. and just get things out there. And sometimes they're all not to the hundred percent that you want everything, but you're about testing and learning. And that's the great thing with software, which has been wonderful in our business line, because you can evolve it and test things and move really, really quickly and introduce new content and not all of it's going to hit. But if you just keep following it and seeing what content works for you and kind of we do, we have an insane amount of data we collect on our platform. That's kind of one of our other things that we're just really if you are doing something on your startup, track it like that's Mm -hmm. the the number when we collect over a billion data points on our app. We use a lot of kind of amazing tools like, uh, for instance, Amplitude is one of them that we use where we just collect every data point coming into the app and we can see 
trend lines. We can see what's working. We can see what people are searching for. And I think whether it's that or even just literally doing um, Google Analytics on your website and knowing where people are clicking, that having that data and that reporting really early on helps you immensely figure out where you're going to spend more dollars, where you're going to focus. And and so I think that kind of early on, I remember we had to launch our first product. We started in about summer 2018. We wanted to get into the app store by January because January is like Super Bowl for health and wellness products. (laughs) And, you know, I remember we had to just like start like slicing features off, like really like features we thought, oh my God, that's an what we called an MVP, minimum viable product to launch it. And we we just, you know, we had to get out to market with something. And we realized early on that we were just going to keep building on it and keep layering in to the product what we could do to make it even better. But it doesn't have to be 100% perfect. It's about kind of testing and learning. And I think that mentality of testing and learning and being agile about it is kind of one of your biggest competitive advantages. I, I know us in like, you know, in these smaller startup companies, you're going up against kind of some of the biggest companies in the world. But your, I would say your biggest strength is is really your superpower is the fact that you're just agile and you can move really, Speed, really yeah. fast. And so you got to just take that to your advantage. Absolutely. I always say done is better than perfect. Just keep going. <laughs> How many people do you have on your team now? We have um, collectively about a little bit over 50 people at the company, 50 to 60 people. And what have been your biggest learning lessons as you've been scaling your business and hiring more people? Yeah, I mean, I think of even the cult setting the culture of your company is incredibly important and kind of trying to find the people that are going to be successful at at each stage of your company is is really helpful. I remember a lot of kind of the early employees of FinOm were folks I had worked with previously, had built great relationships with. But what we realized in terms of hiring people was we weren't trying to hire, I think, up front a huge, we didn't want to grow the team too fast. We're kind of growing people as they were needed. You, We had a, a really key a task we needed to accomplish. We needed to hire someone to go after it. And so we really kind of layered on the team as we were growing and, and bringing more people in that we needed. But I think it was finding people that really held the cultural values of the company. And we wrote them down really early on in the development of the company. And Tried to find people that kind of lived and breathed those values, things like one of our value systems, like being in it to win it, failing fast, you know, finding people that lived the mission and lived the value of loving health and wellness and were passionate about it. And I think hiring people, I think we would say there's no better way to say it than we had like a no jerks policy, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, people, people that you wanted to work with, that you yeah. wanted to be around. It felt like a small family. We always call it the fit on family that we work in. And so we're we're small, but we're mighty. And Mm -hmm. it was just bringing a team of people that had a real startup mindset. Some of these people at our company have incredibly accomplished. They've run large organizations, hundreds of people at other companies, but they really just miss the, I'd say being that in a startup life. The amazing thing, we could talk about this more too, but being in a startup actually has gotten me more work-life balance than I've ever had in my career, which is really interesting and fascinating. And it's because we hire people that it's about like, get your stuff done and take the time back for you and your family. And I think that's just a cultural mindset we set with the company really, really early on. And we don't care if you're in the middle of the day going out to lunch with your family or picking up your kids early from soccer practice. It's just about getting the work done and not about your time in meetings. And, you know, we're not tracked on busy work, you're tracked on results. And so, I think that mentality has actually been a really important part of the company and why we've got so many people who've joined us from really large corporations because they 
they just wanted to get back to building and doing and thriving and that that kind of I would say soul fulfilling part of of when you actually just get to see results and move fast versus kind of being in more of those like you know larger corporations where it can be pretty bureaucratic. No, I'm glad that that you shared that. Thank you. Coming up, Lindsay shares different ideas on how to get started as an entrepreneurista. All right, Lindsay, this is one of our favorite segments. We are going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Let's do it. Okay. How would your friends describe you in three words? Passionate, creative, and hardworking. Coffee or tea? Tea, 100%. Favorite fit on class? Every week, something new. Last week was self-defense. This week's about bar. Next week, it'll be about dance. It changes. Favorite app on your phone? Probably just my, I use a lot of my news apps. It just keeps me connected to the world. Do you have a favorite business tool or solution that's really helped you grow your business? Personally, I'd say like favorite tool for myself would be like just something like Evernote, a great like note taking, you know, I literally have my system approach is putting like the five things I want to accomplish every week at the top of a list. And I have a list that will never get accomplished. But if I keep those things top in mind, that's the stuff that I look at every morning and remember what I have to do and how do I prioritize my work. But we use tons of other, I would say, business tools as a organization, things like Amplitude's been a fantastic tool for us, collecting a lot of product data to figure out where to focus. All right. Evernote and Amplitude. I'm, I'm writing those down. I've heard of Evernote. I haven't used it yet, but I'm going to check it out now. The last question for you. What is your hidden talent? I'm a great, I love to sing and play guitar. So oh. love singer, songwriter, and um, I'm actually pretty good at tennis. I think my other I think the one thing I realized was that being an entrepreneur, you can actually still have hobbies. When my kids got hobbies, I got really jealous and wanted my own hobbies too. And so I started picking up tennis again and pickleball. I don't know if you guys try pickleball. It's really fun. But it's um, I realized that even that hour a day of taking it off, whether it's like a walk or pickleball or tennis, like it is so helpful for me actually doing a better job at my job. So you got to take time. You got to have hobbies. You got to diversify. It's so easy to get burnt out running as an entrepreneur. It is a marathon and not a sprint. And so I think just taking that, you know, whether it's 30 minutes to an hour once a day to just clear your head is, is absolutely imperative. So highly encourage you to take that time. You need me time. That's why fit on exists. I literally built fit on because I wanted me time and needed my own time for self-care. I love it on like really stressful days. I will use my app as a <laughs> as a way to uh, de-stress for myself. And so whether it's that or going outside, I think you, you got to find a way and have an outlet to take time for yourself. I always loved the analogy of, you know, you got to put on your oxygen mask before your kids. Mm-hmm. Whenever you're in the plane, they always tell you that. And it's so true for being a mom in general, for being an entrepreneur, you layer those two together and you got to make some time to put that oxygen mask on you too. So true. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of everyone else and do all the things that you need to do. So I love that advice. 
All right, Lindsay, back to our regularly scheduled uh, questions and programming here now. I actually want to hear a little more about being a mom, also running a business. Well, first, are your kids entrepreneurial? Do you see it in them as well now that they've seen you run this business? They are. They do. They really want to come to shoots. They try to build fit on flyers all the time and drop them in my office. When we started making yoga mats, they would like create designs and layer them on my desk. And so actually one of the coolest things I ever found with fit on, which is, I think, uh, just a really cool experience was the teachers at my daughter's school were actually using it during their breaks to work out mm. and kind of taking just like a 10 minutes to do a stretch without even knowing that we had created the company and it was just such an, a, like a fulfilling moment for us to realize, oh my God, there's people in the, in, out there actually using this product and how fantastic it was. And so I think that those are kind of the moments that move you, but yes, I'm sure that my kids are definitely going to be having their own lemonade stands and <laughs> I'm trying to encourage them with a lot of their entrepreneurial endeavors. I love that. What's your favorite way to unwind at the end of a busy day? I think it's like been mainly through either taking a workout on the app to kind of going back to playing some tennis or doing a long walk. I feel like the the downside of COVID is we've been all kind of used to like Zoom meetings and working all day long on all of these video calls. And um, sometimes I think one of my biggest advice is like, actually just don't turn on the video and just take mm -hmm. a walk while you're doing a phone call because you just need that time outside. I think fresh air is just like, underrated, to be honest. And so I think that kind of every day at the end of the day, after 10 hours of Zoom meetings or or whatnot, just doing a walk around the block, it's like a, a decompression time for me. And it actually comes, it's where I come up with some of the best ideas I've had for the company and whether, you know, it just doing a walk around the block. So I think that that's kind of the best time to unwind. I also just try really hard. Like I don't work on Saturdays, when you have your own business, you'll find yourself doing work 24-7. You're never no. not thinking about your business. You're, there's no such thing as a vacation. You're just always working, which is, I think, okay as long as you take the time in every day to take a break. Mm -hmm. And so I try to take off Saturdays pretty religiously and do that's the time with my kids. And just trying to find those times to, to really just take a break and debrief and come back to it renewed. I'm glad we're having this conversation because it's reminding me of all of the things that I need to be doing. So thank you. You're helping me too, Lindsay. And after we finish this recording, now that it's finally a little bit cooler in Florida, I'm going to go take a walk because I feel like all summer it was too hot here that I wasn't going outside. I used to like take walks early in the morning or in the middle of the day and it was too hot for the past few months. So now it's finally cooling off. I'm getting back outside to get that fresh air. So thank you, Lindsay. I think we all need a reminder. <laughs> You're welcome. I wish I, I wish I could do it as much as I preach it, but it's, it's important. Do you have a quote or mantra that you live your life by? Um, we actually started entering these kind of mantras in our app. So actually when you open up FitOn, it has like a kind of a awesome quote that's just supposed to like change your mindset for the day. And it's something we did. And I know something our users love. And one of the ones we did was be a warrior, like a warrior princess. Think of it that way. Be a warrior and not a warrior, yeah. like um, like yeah. stressed out. And um, I love that quote. I just think it's such a great reminder every single day that like there's so much kind of stress we add on our plate no matter what with our businesses. And just to try to like the other quote, actually, my grandmother used to have have this in her in her bathroom. And I always remembered the quote. It was like, Worry is like a rocking chair. It'll 
move you a lot, but it won't get you anywhere. And it was that kind of reminder of you're all going to have stress every day. It's not super productive to focus on the stress if you instead mm -hmm. focus on like what you're going to do and the next step and how do you just take it from step A to step B and keep moving forward. I think that's a, a really good, good kind of reminder is no matter how stressed out you are, focusing on the stress isn't going to help. Focus on what you're going to do about it. Totally. Take action. I love that. I love that too. Is there something that our audience would be really surprised to learn about you? I know I was surprised to learn that you're a singer, but is there anything else? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's like that you can have hobbies and still be an entrepreneur and that also you can actually make work-life balance. Not always. It's not easy in the beginning and starting a company is a grind. Like there's just no other way to say it. But I think that that's actually one of the things kind of I reflect is when I think back about my days as an executive at Fitbit, I, I was probably working more, maybe not working, I probably worked about the same amount, let's be honest, I work hard all the time, but it was about the energy. I have it flowing to more parts of my life now, and I have it flowing more towards the family and making time for the kids, and I'm able to fit that into the everyday. Um, I, the other kind of piece of advice I'd actually encourage your listeners to think about too when starting a company is do a ton of research. I feel like part of the success of we've had to date with Fit On has been that we, I knew a lot about the category I was going into. And I spent a lot of time, like years, kind of being curious about it and helping me understand how to, to build in this market. And so there's like, you can do so much research today online about businesses that you want to start, where there's funding being put in the category. You can test so many ideas really like cheaply nowadays. You can just put an idea up on YouTube. You can test a you can test something on TikTok. There's social media has made it infinitely cheaper to test business mm -hmm. ideas. And so I feel like there's lots of opportunity before you have to kind of go out and spend a lot of money or raise too much capital. There's a lot of ways that you can really test. Do you have a good product idea here? Is there product market fit before actually expending too many dollars behind it? And, and also don't underestimate the power of also trying to like whether it's partnering with a, a founder or somebody who started a business before that you could, could you buy a business? Could you partner with someone that has started something that's really small, but it has great product market fit and maybe you could find a way to help scale it. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's always kind of a lesson if it doesn't have to be started from absolute scratch. There's other ideas or ways you can kind of partner with other founders or find other businesses that are just tiny yet ideas, but they've, they've figured out something to them. They have product market fit and you can take them and really help scale them. That's such great advice. I'm glad you shared that too, Lindsay. You've shared so many incredible learning lessons. I am so glad we've had the opportunity to chat with you and learn all about your journey and so excited to stay connected. And hopefully we can do more together in our Entrepreneurs League community as well. My final question for you, Lindsay, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? Yeah, it means getting really to like the chance to work on what I love every day and and finding time for my family. And I'm so incredibly fortunate I had the chance to build my dream job. And I'm so lucky to get to do that. And it's to me just the I read every single one of our app reviews. So that's over 350,000 to date. And wow. just it's the the impact of of kind of reading what we're able to do 
to other people's lives is what gets me up in the morning. So that's a lot about me being entrepreneurista, but it's also just trying to find balance between my family, my health, and getting to work on what I love. And I think it's one of the biggest powers of being an entrepreneur is just getting to work on your passions. And when you're working on your passions, it's really not work. There's nothing better, right? Well, Lindsay, thank you again for being here and sharing your story. Where can everyone find you and follow you? And for those that are not yet users of FitOn and are interested in downloading the app, where's the best place for them to do so? Yep, they can just go to fitonapp.com. But even easier would just be to open up your iPhone and go to your app store and search FitOn, F-I-T-O-N, and come join us and take some time for your own self-care and um, get a chance to work out with our fantastic trainers and awesome celebrities that we have on the platform too. And just take 10 minutes for you, for me time today. I promise it'll pay back in spades. Well, I am downloading the app and going for a walk right after this recording. So thank you, Lindsay, for all of your advice and for building this incredible business. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.